Unsilencing Stories is a podcast that reflects the voices of people in small towns and communities in Canada who have lost loved ones to the toxic drug supply crisis. Since 2016, more than 30,000 people have died from fatal overdoses in Canada, and that number continues to climb. The risk in smaller towns and communities is much higher than in urban areas because of a lack of harm reduction services and stigma against substance use and people who use drugs. This podcast is part of a community-based participatory research project facilitated by Erin Goodman, PhD, a faculty member at Kwatlen Polytechnic University in Surrey, BC, along with students Jenna Keeble and Ashley Pokernich. The aim was to assist collaborators in publicly memorializing their loved ones and expressing grief, as well as challenging silences imposed by dominant media organizations and stigma from society against substance use and people who use drugs. We hope these nuanced stories make a clear why the government needs to be doing more to prevent further deaths. Please note, this podcast contains information about overdose death, grief, and trauma that may be distressing to listen to. Please take care. In this episode, you'll hear Curtis Rajasik speaking with Lisa Gunlock in Prince George, BC, about her friend Edmund, who died from an opioid overdose. Then last name, please. Lisa Gunlock. How's it going, Lisa? Where do you live? I live right now, I live in... Um... I don't know what you would call it. It's not a shelter, but anyways, I live on, it's called Northern Breeze, right downtown, where everything's happening crazy. What city? Oh, Prince George. Okay. Gotcha. <laughs> is there one person that you would like to talk about? Actually, yeah, there is one. Okay. Um, his name, he lived in the building. Uh, he became a really good friend of mine. Mm-hmm. Take your time. I came home from... Work one night. He was in there prior. And I said to him, I said, What are you doing here, Edmund? Like, you're better than this. Go home. Like, you don't need this shit. So he did. And he wasn't around anybody that really knew anything about someone overdosing. I walked right by his freaking room and his light was on. And I thought to myself, Maybe I should stop him and see if he's okay. But I, and I had something to do that day. So I, Went and I got into the shower and I sat in the shower. And I could hear all this horrific screaming and crying. All of a sudden, bang, bang, bang. The shower, and I'm like, hold on. And it's Laverne, the caretaker. She goes, Edmund's gone. They're like, what do you mean he's gone? He's gone. He died. He wasn't into that shit. He just kind of got into that, like, Right when kind of like town started opening again, I got him to come into a few of the meetings we had, and because he's really smart, he was really smart. Wondered if I didn't say that, go home, maybe he would have just done it there, and everything would be okay today. But I can't take that on. I know that it's hard. It's really hard because I see his wife. She hates that place, and whatever reason, she doesn't want to know. The whole activity. She just knew her husband never did that shit ever. And I tried to tell like I told him. I said I'm not lying to her. She asked me, like, you know, you're dealing with deadly shit, dude. He just went crazy on it. You don't have to have one day it'll do nothing for you and then the next day it will and that's it. Mm-hmm. It's all over. But that's it. Like that's my friend, Adam, you knew him. Yeah, I did know him. Quite a shock when I heard he passed. Like you said, I didn't really think he was into that that heavy, but... Uh, right? The last 
few months leading up to his passing, he was visibly doing more, I noticed. What was your first memory? Um, when they were moving in, because I've known them a long time. And I had left when I was a few years back, right? Families kind of knew each other. He's my last memory of him. Yeah. Giving yeah. me shit, telling me, like, smart the fuck up. He's, I just have to, I, I think, I put it in my head, he's in a better place now. And just keep on trying to save more lives. Like, I want also, you know that. Mm -hmm. And yeah, when you're saying that somebody is so hard, like, because overdose is still, like, the first. Like, it's hard work in your whole brain. You has to focus on bringing that person to life. Mm -hmm. Not everything else that goes around it. So when it's over, yeah, but I've been doing this for three years now, so I'm finding ways of how to myself. not carry that big burden, yeah. right? Because I really am doing all I can right now to mm -hmm. help that people to not die, educate people on the importance of having a naloxone kit and knowing how to use it, and that. They're not just some loser low-life drug addict, because I'll tell you, they never got up and said, that's what I want to be when I grow up. Like, we didn't do that, did we? No. no. And it's just sad. It's really sad. Yeah. The more we can put it out there, the more we can see. Do you have any other stories that you want to share about Edmund? Or anybody else that uh, that was close Edmund to Edmund was the one that really affected me the most, because... Yeah. I got to know them because people in that building were just kind of like, we know everybody, right? Mm -hmm. And I decided that he was against that shit right from the get-go. Have done a 360 like that it was kind of like, wow. Made me wonder if maybe that wasn't the first time. I don't know. It just wasn't him. You didn't fit that. You didn't fit it whatsoever. That's the one that bothered me because... I don't know, going from helping people, and he did. He had a, this little smile about him. That, but other people, don't get me wrong, like the other people that I've known, like that have passed away from overdoses. I knew them, but I didn't know them. Actually, Edwin and I would have to say it would be the closest because any other deaths I've had have not, nothing to do with crisis at all with the opioid overdose. So, yeah, he was my first person that, that I knew personally that did make it. What's helped you most with your grief? What I do, work. Yeah. Work helps me, keeps me steady, focused on what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. Yeah, cool. It like, helps me large. I understand that. Because it is... You, it's so stigmatized out there. It's just, you have to, like, do as much as you can. Because mm -hmm. we're people. We're not numbers. What type of person was he? He was a good person. Yeah. And he tried to help people that were on it. Then when I got him coming to some of the meetings there at the Pounds, he really enjoyed that. Like I said, he wanted to be a part of it. And he always did in his own little way, too, right? Is there an image of him that pops into your mind every time he's mentioned? Like, I'd rather just not. I don't really think about him much anymore. Like, because I do, but I don't. I'm not trying to be some callous or anything, but I just believe that he's in a better place now, and time comes he'll be with his family. 
and then I have to just focus on today. Everybody agrees. It's different, right? That brings us to the end of this episode of the Unsilencing Stories podcast. To listen to more interviews in the series, please go to www.unsilencingstories.com. And if you'd like to share your thoughts on the episode, message us at unsilencingstories at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, and please share the project of other people you know.